I'm Siri. I'm like Ray, but I'm a witcher, and I'm gonna be a great witcher, and me and Geralt, we're gonna be the best witchers of all the witches. <laughs> That's how I hear Siri in my head. Oh, God bless her. He has to make plenty of compromising decisions to protect Siri once he's decided to do that. Spoiler alert, it's at the end of the season already, and it's gonna be for the whole thing. It's Geralt and Siri. I'm Siri. I'm gonna be a witcher with Geralt, the best witcher of all the witches. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks. We're here, baby. <laughs> episode four. This is the one. This is the one. For people who are really not bought in, it's episode six of the dragons. But if you really love fantasy and everything from enchanted forest to, uh, you know, enchantments over people to look like animals and not be with their true love, even while adding the violence and disturbedness of what's going on in Siri's brain and, and Geralt's world with crazy queens and kings who are liable to do anything at any moment that they're not even prepared for themselves um what's interesting was i started my main critique basically in the last you know episode episode three uh where you know i started talking about the this part the brokelon forest part and how they cut out Geralt, and also but how the meeting at the end is very short well it is linked apparently because uh, since then and this is why i wait a few days before doing episodes i love because since the last time i recorded a few days ago lauren hisrick who i rave about as the showrunner and who's been amazing communicating with the fans and not trying to explain away to people here the dryads we'll get back to the dryads much different portrayal in my opinion opinion here than in the book. I don't have a problem with it, and the more hysteric the showrunner explains about it, the more I understand the decision they had to make, but originally Geralt was going to have some sort of meaning with Siri in the forest like he does in the book and they totally ignore in this series they've never seen each other before the very last moment when they hug and then they don't even do some of the great dialogue but according to Hisrick it's related because of time and the way the stories were being told they just couldn't figure out a way to get Geralt into the forest uh, th- that would pay off um, to, to either the casual audience or the hardcore audience if she runs kill her right this is the jumping to the dryads really quickly this is the most menacing the dryads are um and it's mostly you can almost be explained away in series head but because we're doing a little more disney princess here we wanted to have an epic adventure but not have a non-traditional bad guy hence the different version Ooh, man is this <laughs> middle-aged black woman a beautiful damn woman she's got to be like 45 stunning You are in Brokerland Forest. Okay, so there's definitely some sort of Wakanda-ish. It's not just because it's, it's sort of... Na, 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 na. Oh, I love the theme. Uh, there's some Wakanda influence in the protectors of the dragons in a few episodes. This is something different. And it's important because... Uh, I'll get back to the critique that's really a non-critique. Um, <laughs> it swallowed the whole village. <laughs> I just know who's listening to this. 
And I'm already laughing. Uh, Okay, we'll get back to the dryads. They're less menacing and less interesting and less important here than the books. That's fine. But getting the admission that they thought hard and still maybe regret not having the meeting between Geralt and Ciri, and then they split in the book, and then the whole world burns to the ground, and then they're like, fuck, we need to find each other, and they find each other miraculously, just like the end of this. Um, I was ultimately okay with this much more minimalist portrayal, which I've already commented on even before Hysterix comments. Um, and I'm thrilled that they were at least thinking about it. Um, yep, I hear you. Stingy with the details. <laughs> oh, man. Tendula. Jaskier's so great. Um, he's fine. Uh, he, yeah, he had to be little tenant, David Tennant-y, Doctor Who, at times, but also, in some ways, sober. He's <laughs> Covered in blood and guts. This is great. Silky more guts. Um, a good way of killing a monster off screen. So yeah, the dry. Going to they're already making a joke of the amazing song. Song. Everyone's singing it and they're throwing him all sorts of stuff. It's covered in blood. The biggest problem is his outfits aren't, aren't gaudy enough. They got to step up Dandelion. I guess they're, you know, want to build him as famous slowly, but at the beginning of the next season, guys, Blood of Elves. Blood of Elves actually starts with a really interesting chapter that you never see where Dandelion performs about Geralt, Jennifer, and Siri. What's happened so far? It's basically a recap of these two books, so they're definitely going to do this at the show and maybe start with that, with Jaskier performing in, in, the, in the Glade, and it's sort of a place of peace where there's a truce, and even though people are threatening violence, you know, and there's like dwarves and elf guardians there, you know, people who hate each other or whatever, religious fanatics, political liberals, you know, they shouldn't be in the same place, uh, but there is a, a peace mostly enforced. But what can't be enforced is that, as usual, Dandelion has, has kind of good intentions with the music, at least. It is giving away way too much information. Way too much information. Oh, this is great. Your very best friend in the whole wide world. How hard could it be? I'm not your friend, says Geralt. Oh, oh really? He usually just lets strangers rub chamomile on your lovely bottom. <laughs> this is exactly how they should have played it. You know, in the book, it's it's always uh, it, Geralt is wiser than than dandelion but his dandelion's few moments where he actually is right in like the essie story which is so heartbreaking it's like the one woman he briefly loved other than yamper when essie dies uh, sort of off screen um is particularly memorable because the whole time essie and Geralt are dancing around the fact that they like each other and, and should you know why not sleep together because they might never see each other again and they end up not and dandelion has the long view of a poet and that's in both the romance, and he yells at both of them, and Essie's a sweet little cute thing, and that's part of Geralt's problem, is like she's almost Siri-like in sort of how fragile and, and delicate she is, or whatever, um, and Geralt's very protective of that, of that you know, type of personality, as we'll see 
with Siri. But, but then the line is like, you're both being idiots. Geralt, here's why you're being idiot. Essie, here's why you're being idiot. Just fucking sleep together. I'm going to go fishing for a few hours. And that's exactly what happens. He goes fishing. They look at each other. And then they sleep together. And they have a wonderful night. And then they part the next day and never see each other. And then Dandelion writes a song about Essie. I'm not making this up. Dandelion, on his own, writes a song about Essie that he never plays for anyone other than himself. And that even not that. Because it was so heartbreaking. Because she dies of, like, a young, healthy woman. A couple years later, dies of, like, you know, dysentery or, or the plague or something like that. <laughs> Here's the ask here. Still being hilarious, despite my babbling. Okay, so, so look, this is maybe my favorite story of the of the first two books because it's all about Siri, but Siri's not there, and this story is the literal and figurative conception of Siri and the conception of the Siri prophecy accidentally by a combination of this guy, Mousak, and we'll get back to Geralt and the Mad Queen Kalinthi. Right, he's famous, and it's all because of Dandelion. That's what part... A sad silk trader. <laughs> Melsack. So Melsack being... Yeah, there it is. They're the Vikings. They're, yeah, they're Vikings mixed with Scots, I suppose, are the Skelligas. This guy's so great. He starts off as just totally, you think a drunk, cocky, dumbass, but Melsac is so powerful, and these two form a huge bond. It's really more because of these two that Siri ends up ultimately, again, somewhat by accident in the beginning, and then with great intention, it almost doesn't happen. Uh, there's Siri's beautiful, beautiful mom, Pavetta. This actress is just stunning. I, I said this in the trailers. There's one point in the trailers where they show Pavetta very briefly, and it, 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 they frame it so it looks just like Siri, and I told people, I'm like, Look, if you're not familiar with the material or you've seen this trailer a lot, that's actually Pavetta series' mom. And so I felt at that point when we seen shots of dancing and what looked like a wedding with what looked like Queen Kalinthi, which we'll get to. Um, but this is so bizarre and memorable. You combine, you know, the hedgehog, all the weird suitors, the, the tension, and then Pavetta's, you know, dark phoenix display of angry, confused, uh, fearful power. And then these two guys have to work together in numerous ways magically to prevent it or stop what's going on. Dandelion is not the one to bring Geralt here. Dandelion is not here in the original. But as soon as I... I mean, let's put it this way. I would have put Dandelion in here, and, and I would have been mad if they didn't. This would be the one change. There's no reason Dandelion, in terms of the the books, wouldn't be here other than this chapter comes before his. But in terms of the timeline, where it's still a series of short stories that are well before Siri in The Last Wish, which is this is taken from a question of price, I believe the fourth major chapter, the question of price in the, in the Siri prophecy, but... It's already bizarre in the books, but to make it somewhat funny actually adds to the bizarreness and the tension uh, that's coming up. Because you think this is going to be mostly a comedic episode, but it just gets totally, totally nutso. But here's the thing I hope translates, is they're fighting in this episode and the next episode, and then briefly before Dandelion almost dies in the next episode, this is going to keep happening. I know they have the bro fight. <laughs> oh, here's Queen Calanthe covered in blood. So cocky. Beer. Okay, so th this is important. 
Apologies, Noble Sir. She's so great. She's easily the MVP of this season for me. I, I, I knew or expected everyone else to be great. This woman playing two or three different ages of Calanthe. Okay, so she, this, this is very subtle. So she had this daughter, Pavetta, with a husband who's now dead. But there's a number of men who are actually suiting her, even though she's the mom. She's the MILF. <laughs> Sorry, you know, she's the hot mom. Pavetta is gorgeous. But many of the older men are just in love with her, especially from Skellige, because their two cultures are not necessarily related blood-wise, although that's probably the case. Here's just straight Renaissance music, which is what they should do with Dandelion leading the bands. Look at Pavetta. Look at that face. She's like uh, Claire Danes' second cousin. <laughs> the Claire Danes from Stardust, not from Homeland. Yeah, and the, again... The tension between these two as mother and daughter at a really weird wedding scene is you can feel it through the books. They don't necessarily talk about this explicitly, but this was the way to describe all the different suitors, what's going on. And Kalinthi is going to push hard for the Skelligas because they're already allies. But what happens is the older Skellige, good-looking, tall guy, who we know is sort of series adoptive grandfather from the first episode and then gets killed in the battle... And it's Clinty's husband, but not ruling. They they hook up here basically. So not only is this the physical and basically the physical and metaphysical and you know and sort of uh, poetical conception of Siri and the Siri prophecy involving all these characters who we've seen on screen already without Dandelion detracting but helping make it funny. And so they're even improving the episode in terms of for television. Unbelievably loyal though to the, the way it plays out step by step by step. And, and the craziness increasing, um, and the unpredictability, and Queen Calinthe's unpredictability, all is straight. I know I keep saying this, but I keep saying it. It's straight from the books, and it, there's no reason to change it because it's absolute gold in the books. So I'm going to hold off on the dryads a little bit for now because it's beautiful, and you've watched it, and you should keep watching it. Siri again, you know, being princess in the woods has to do a lot of subtle stuff. Oh, here's her buddy. Right, so she didn't even notice and seemed obvious in the last episode. She was so under the spell of the forest and the dryads. Ouch. It's not how you're supposed to get the arrows out, guys. That's okay. I've been avoiding this particular chapter and it's... I should read it more extensively in terms of her elf buddy and... But the part of it is, you know, I'm trying to ride with this show, and the biggest change by far, obviously, and now the you know the the showrunner is even like I, I mentioned, you know, talking openly about the one thing that's given them sleepless nights was changing rad- you know, somewhat radically compared to everything else. What happens in the forest, but in particular, not having her and Geralt spend time together in the forest, and Geralt pushing her away, Siri not wanting to go away, and then Geralt learning later that her whole series whole world burned down, and he might have killed her and destroyed the prophecy that he started accidentally and did, claimed to not believe in, but then once he thinks Ciri's maybe dead, he thinks all hope is lost for himself and everybody else. You know, Ciri becomes a self-reclamation project for himself that he's not aware of, but because it's so true and honest in terms of his love of Ciri, it never is narcissistic because, you know, she is the thing. It's not about him. Even if he's gaining some sort of life benefit. <laughs> Here's Kalinthe, still with blood on her face. Such a bad you know, uh, 
with the, with the eyeshadow and, and sort of her age is reminiscent of Siggy, also beautiful woman, maybe a slightly younger than Calanthe, around the same age, you know, late 30s, early 40s, beautiful, and in, uh, in, Vi- in Vikings. But she's not a warrior. She's a, you know she's a a, a family woman and 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 a, and a ruler and a, you know an, an adoptive aunt and whatever. Calanthe's just a straight up warrior, which again makes sense. We know the Vikings had female warriors. Uh, so this okay. So here's Geralt giving in. Dandelion's for once giving him the uh, look. Calanthe loves him. So this is what comes off so strongly in the book is even though Calanthe literally page to page is saying, you're working for me. If you don't, I'm going to kill you. I have a great respect for witchers. You're a piece of shit. Like literally jumping between all of those things. And you, it, she's so unpredictable in the book and unpredictable characters in books. It's important because they can't do this facial work that she's doing now where you can already tell that she's a loose cannon. She's like f- 5,000 loose cannons. Yeah, the song. Oh, uh, no. I didn't shit myself. Uh, Geralt's picking a fight. Geralt's picking a fight. Dandelion thought he had stemmed the shitless death. Geralt is not this brazen whatsoever. Here he is. This is the guy who's hitting on her. He's hitting on her in the books. And he's been hitting on her for years. So this isn't weird because they they already have a flirty thing. Lynn, she gives him the luck, and it's so great. I love that. The queen, people think the queen's hot, you know, the older bed. They, they they don't want a bizarre marriage with a 15-year-old. They want to hook up with her, and she's going to rule. They don't even want to rule. But again, it's all from it's all from the Skellige people, the Vikings, and because some of them talk like Vikings and some of them talk like Scotsmen, but most of them, including Adam Levy's portrayal of Mausik, who's supposed to be like really like a, a shaman-type character, um, but is, I guess, really adapted to court. I liked that the decision. I, you know, it's one of those maybe too subtle for the average watcher, and even me. I was expecting a little bit more sort of Viking dress. Now, this is the final season of Vikings, which is a famous show, and when you combine that with some of the Viking cultures in Lord of the Rings, which is yeah, obviously still in the, in the zeitgeist, and, and then of course uh, Game of Thrones. You know, they're trying not to be kind of too Viking, and I guess the uh, stereotypical way. So, yay, Vikings rights. It was important, though, that with her, with her sort of funny, cute, shy, but co- very com- like real confident confidence early on, and then seeing everything burn, that this would be her lowest point. So the main thing that with the dryads is, you know, for their own reasons, they have to decide whether to let people go to kill them or, or to try and make them dryads. Dryads aren't necessarily a, a species. It's more of a cult. It's a cult. It's a spiritual movement that's based in the forest. But like these two being an elf and a human, they can both become dryads. There are different processes. They do have her drink of the dryad water later. Which makes me wonder if they're going to try and bring it back in the in the TV series in some new way, which I would be open towards because the dryads are fucking cool. And like I said, like the Bendu in Star Wars or the Ents in Lord of the Rings, they are nature creatures. They generally don't give a fuck about either side. When push comes to shove, they will uh, grant wishes of, of, of Geralt. And part of the reason Geralt has to, from a storytelling standpoint, be in the woods, um, in, uh, in the book, how that's all, oh, look at this shot behind me. Everything looks like a Disney princess shot with with Freya Allen as Siri. It is ridiculous. All right. Here we go. Here we go. She was so impressed. So it's more so, like, so in the book, Kalanthi invites 
I know I'm jump. I keep jumping away from the dryads because the dryads at this point are way less important, interesting, and funny, but actually important. N- not nearly what's going on here. This is great. This is exactly in the book you wanted. Pavetta on the left, Calanthe in the middle, Gerald on the right. She almost has a thing for him, like all the powerful women do. You know his bluntness, his brute brutishness, but he's so c- civilized. Once they do his hair and give him clothes, it's so obvious, even though he's wearing rags. I'm helping the idiot free of his coin, and he's the idiot. <laughs> they have great rapport um, in the in the book. Now here she's going to say, order Geralt to do. Okay, so in the book she is the one who maneuvers him being there. Dindaline has nothing to do with. He's nearby, or she summons him, and she's a queen, and so he has to at least grant her an audience. And this is part of why Dandelion is important. And actually would have been, let's put it this way, Dandelion helping Geralt in this episode is not only within the spirit of something that might have happened in a slightly alternate universe, but actually could have helped Geralt in the original story, having someone like Dandelion who's familiar with the nonsense insanity of courts. God, is she good. MVP. MVP. Uh, this is great. Nilfgaard tries to come with their black outfits, who everybody hates, and and, and, <laughs> and the Scots and the Celts are just saying "fuck you" to the. <laughs> oh my God, Calante, Queen Calante. This guy starts with a very passionate delivery, and then talks about his seed going into her fifteen-year-old daughter. And I am one of five brothers with no sisters. My potent seed inside Pavetta, oh lord. <laughs> Pavetta's horrified, looks at Clanty, Clanty goes, and this isn't going to happen. But I have to be diplomatic. Suggesting the jewel of the north. Jody May, she is unbelievable. She's so good as Clanty, and she's this good in the book. So she's the one who maneuvers Carol being there. Um, and so she, she comes up as so much smarter, obviously more manipulative at the book. This was, again, with Dandelion, it made much more sense uh, that, uh, that he would accompany. And yet she's not a hundred thousand percent surprised that Carol shows up. And that's probably part of why Dandelion was invited because of the chance that he would bring the white wolf with him because he made the white wolf famous and the white wolf made him famous and so on. All right, here's the next suitor. So, you know, it, it starts with Pavetta thinking the obvious, which is we got to marry her to Skellige to cement our military and political alliance because no one else is really that worthy. Okay, this was a side story that it was just like keeping Yennefer involved on, on the surface. But guys, even though the two transformation episodes were very dramatic and Anya Chilitra acted her ass off, this is the first one where she's acting as super powerful and super beautiful, but flirting with super evil Yennefer. She hates babies. Or, or, or may, maybe she's already thinking about how she can't have babies. So this woman gets more and more horrible ordering her quote-unquote slave around, uh, treating her like a... Uh, Mage, right now it's how splendid. And soon as they get into trouble, it'll be you fucking whore. Why aren't you helping us? She ends up killing the mom by not putting her through the portal. And I believe that she can, Jennifer, that is, commits infanticide by the end of this episode and buries that baby in the sand. And we will revisit that image later, just out of hate and spite and hate and self-loathing and e- evilness, for lack of a better word. If she doesn't indeed kill the baby, and it's not just a vision that she had and or I had. So now Anya Chalotra has to act 
in another way, not like Anya Chalotra. And she would seeming how sweet she is in real life. Again, I, I'm, you know, projecting this with actresses and actors sometimes, but she seems at least down to earth, maybe a little eccentric and complicated, which would be great because that would be further proof of her brilliance. And she absolutely slays in this season. Um, but again, another Yennefer episode that you didn't, let's put it this way, guys. <laughs> Take all eight episodes as constructed. If you didn't introduce Yennefer into episode next episode, if you didn't introduce her for the first time until the next episode, episode five, which is the last wish, that is the, oh, here comes the bad guys. That is exactly how she's introduced in the books. And I've been saying that we wanted the backstory and the origin story of Yennefer, and because of the great performance and production and so forth, it ended up mostly living up to the billing. I'm just telling you, as someone who knows the books, the books well, um, but also has a sense of how you know things are structured and act structures between books and film and television, etc. Yada yada yada. This is, of course, a fantasy trope, you know, riding along on the wagon. Who would think a bunch of bandits would murder all our guards? Yennefer covered in blood. This is also important for her to be very scared early on and have to really use her powers, even though in the end, she decides to specifically not save this woman. And anyways, I just have to point out, in the book, like if she had not been introduced until The Last Wish, um, an episode, it would have mirrored the book. This was the way to go. And this is a much cooler creature than the, the spider in the first episode. It's bright daylight. It's not quite a spider. It's more like a scorpion. You make it smaller, it actually becomes more believable. And here comes the first portal, guys. Portals are a huge part of the Witcher games. Taking portals with sorceresses and chantresses. Geralt hates portals, so he'll ride 5,000 miles instead. Okay, so we saw desert shots with her. This shot or a similar shot with Anya Chultra and this other woman. We also saw a, a shot of Siri running in the desert. I, I'm, I'll, again, on my third, second or third watch through here, we'll, we'll monitor. If the Siri in the desert shot happens, it's a part of a, a, a dream or a vision, which is what I expected this from, but it's happening so fast that I don't notice it. This is so memorable. This has to be a green screen. There's no way for three minutes for a portal scene just because it looks cool. Um, and they would go to a desert, but damn, does it look good. But hey, when you have CGI scorpion creatures, um, here she goes. And in the sand, so we saw it in the snow, and now in the sand, you know, the portal. Oh, man. Well, that thing is ugly looking. That's It's ironic that probably the best monster of the season is not with Geralt. Now this woman's going to start calling her slave, bitch, something. We're being tracked. I mean, this is another thing people haven't quite realized about The Witcher, because they haven't fully revealed it yet about The Witcher, which is, not only is their magic system more powerful and advanced, at least on paper, or in theory, than most fantasy series, and it's actually used quite a bit if you take the games into account, 
Right, so this is the uh, this is the Scarlet Witch thing holding two things at once, right? Scarlet Witch is pulling the mind jab out of the vision and it's killing Thanos. At this point, I would still take the Scarlet Witch over Yennefer, but my point is, if when Yennefer reaches full power, or I should say, when someone like Siri reaches full power, you know, it's far beyond anything other than maybe Doctor Strange, and even then, you know, f- full powered Siri, if she ever got control over it, I think could take down Strange and, and uh, Wanda pretty easily. Um, but also science. They, they understand the spheres and the working. I don't know if they know the world's not flat. Um, you useless witch. Here it is. How could you not foresee this? And that was a nice little uh, sound cue where it looked like there was darkness in her head. It was really them coming through the portal mirroring her head. Does Yennefer try one more time to save this horrible woman? And her poor baby? So she leaves both of them, and I think she comes back for the baby. I do remember her doing this in the first viewing and being like, yep, this is totally what Yennefer would do, or young Yennefer. Yes, oh, fishmonger, oh, fishmonger. It's not exactly toss a coin to your witcher, which, again, I can't say enough about how great that song is, and they keep bringing it back in a somewhat fourth wall, but very uh, sort of culturally, dramatically appropriate ways. Right, so this is way too staid. This is too Renaissance. Again, a very small thing. I would have nothing changed with Dandelion in the band necessarily, and they've got the bagpipes. But, yeah, but it was important that the three main characters here are so bored by it as well, because we saw her covered in blood like a fucking Lagertha Viking warrior at the beginning. That was intentional. So, you know, they'll, they'll reveal the Skelligas more over time because they become so super important. Now, Mausak is mostly important here in, in, and in the, then later in the Sword of Destiny in the books. Um, and because he's murdered, spoiler alert, coming up in this season so the double can double him. Um, nevertheless, he, 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 in, in the, um, in the uh, lore, he goes back to... To, uh, to Skellige and becomes more like the shaman, you know, druid that he, he or really he's a druid that he used to be, starts dressing more traditionally again, starts making prophecies, and he's an, as Ernion, he renames himself, or it's a different name, in The Witcher 3, again, another thing from the literature that they then pay off in new ways, like The Last Wish in The Witcher 3, is... You can decide to go very against Ernian's wills with what Yennefer wants. I think it has to do actually with the necromancy uh, in, in the graveyard that I talked about last time that Yennefer does, and he learns about it and is horrified. But there's another tool or implement that she steals. It's like a one-use magical tool. They use it. It doesn't even give them much information. And uh, he already hates Yenna at that point. Um, here we go. Here comes Dooney. So from here till the end is played out almost exactly like the book. She's going to order Geralt to kill him. Geralt's going to say no. And then she's going to order everyone to kill him and Geralt. So guys, I I have to spoil this because, you know, it, it informs everything in the books coming up. And it's not fair to you guys. Um, I've already mentioned it once kind of by accident. If you missed it and you really don't want to hear, I'm going to tell you who this Dooney guy is in about a 10-second period. So when I say now, close your ears for 10 seconds. 
Now, okay, guys, this is actually the future Amir von Emrys, the Emperor of Nilfgaard and father of Ciri. Uh, it's unknown how good he is at this point, but Pavetta dies, he fakes his death, comes back as Emperor. This is great makeup. They felt so confident about this. This is like X-Men, you know, 5.0. Like what they do with some of the X-Men characters. But he's quite beautiful. They had to make him look attractive, even for what he is. Kill him, whatever the price. This is no monster. So in the books, they have more time to argue this thing before it actually happens. They have a whole philosophical argument before this craziness happens. Slay this beast! Oh, man, here we go. Dooney knows how to fight. Okay, so the one thing I totally messed up, guys, is I was wondering who the Nilfgaardian Black Rider who keeps following Siri is. I'm an idiot because he's a major character going forward. Kahir, or Kahir, Kahir, something like, I can't pronounce it, C-A-H-I-R. And he ends up, he's an, he's a, an assassin, and agent of, oh, here we go. Geralt's going to come out and start helping this guy. Exactly the opposite of what, uh, yeah, he's going, what, what, what Calanthe said. He can see this guy is so passionate about Pavetta. He's fighting his ass off against them, trying not to kill them. This is why this was a bl- relatively bloodless scene compared to the other scenes. Uh-oh. So, but in the book, they, Calanthe uh, and, and, and Geralt have this philosophical argument long before it happens. Oh, yeah, baby. Straight up. Oof. Oh, he murdered that guy. Uh, and there are dead people in the book, and this happens exactly. She's telling them to kill them both. There's this huge fight, and this is going to lead to Pavetta's magical huge display. And then in the end, you'll see... Calanthe all of a sudden is on board with everything, but then the the, the love surprise is invoked and everything goes to shit. Love surprise has been called right. This is this is very subtle because he's a very TV looking actor. Is is good as he's damn good. This guy um, who plays Calanthe's uh, you know lover and sort of second husband and adoptive grandfather. Oh, here's the full music. Um, iced. Um, Aced or Iced. I don't know how to pronounce his long name. Look at her breathing hard. You gotta have your lead females breathing hard, baby, with the music. Calanthe's feeling the passion. This is very similar to, uh, uh, you know, number six. Oh, no. Here she comes with the sword. Is she gonna kill? Nope, now she's defending. She's defending because the man. This is so subtle. This is totally for the fans. This is totally for the fans. It, it, with this man. I mean, you can tell that they have a thing here, and you saw them, older versions of them in the first episode, but in the book, it's very clear that he's been putting the hard sell on her, personally, for quite a while. I don't know who this guy is. Don't care. And I like, I think they go out of their way to not explain any of this, and who fucking cares, because it's just about Yennefer exploring her powers and morals, or lack thereof. Not lack thereof of powers, obviously. Lack thereof of moral. Well, the fact that she can do numerous portals all over the world in this early stage is is very impressive. Giving away her baby. This woman's horrible. I'm gonna kill her. Oh man. And I wonder is Yennefer just late or is she just not, or is she just waiting? Oh. Oh, there goes the head. How did Yenna do it? Just with her hands? Oh, this is the crazy Anya look I've been wanting. The gothy Anya look. 
Oh man, she's just gonna blast this guy! Oh, this is so awesome. The, uh, you know, I look. I, I I thought the magic would be great. I borderline knew it would be great. It's even better than I can hope. Here comes the thing, and it, I think slices her on the shoulder or whatever. You know, her newly beautiful body. Now she's hugging the baby. You think she's gonna have a experience like Yennefer in, in the next book, or next couple books, where she's the you know motherly to Siri. She's not there yet. I think she kills the baby. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I've been saying she's killed the baby. If she doesn't kill the baby, maybe the baby's dead. Oh, she looks dead. Oh, uh, she doesn't kill the baby. The baby's dead. Speaking the elder tongue. Look, there's certain things like the Elder Blood, the Elder Tongue, and the Elves being the magical ones, and blah, 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 and the, and the humans taking over. That, that, that Go back to Tolkien, but even far b- before Tolkien. If you listen to my history of, of uh, fantasy, uh, a.k.a. Why the Witcher is going to be amazing and better than Game of Thrones podcast. I guess the baby's already dead. So she doesn't kill the baby. She just buries the baby. <laughs> well, that changes things. Dooney. And this is exactly how it happens. Calanthe stops it. I don't know if, if Iced... I think Iced is one of the ones that convinces her in this... And in, in, in actually, the end of this, in the book, they specifically mention two weddings are going to happen. She can't... Iced, Iced from, from Skellige, who's in love with, with Calanthe. Oh, here's Calanthe. She's trying to... This is like Vanessa trying to process Deadpool at the end of first Deadpool when he takes the mask off. He's like, okay, maybe after a few shots of whiskey. <laughs> he bows. So it's unclear whether... You know what? Fuck it, guys. I'm sorry. I got to talk about it. This guy... <laughs> tune out now if you, need, if you don't want to know who Dooney is. But otherwise, it's going to be a surprise that's not interesting when it happens. Is that he here? I think is still thinking like a good guy, still a good guy. But then he, him, Veda supposedly die at sea, and then he comes back as the Emperor of Nilfgaard, who wants to find Siri for nefarious reasons. It's also important to mention that because the character who's hunting Siri at the beginning, the Black Rider in the end, and he's the guy that six the you know the double of Mausak to try and dig Siri out of the forest and and all this stuff. Up oh, there, there's future Daddy in law. Crossing with the beast that swindled your stupid phone. Says no swindle, right? He did save the life. Yeah, he did. So Dooney in the woods saved the father. Don't lecture me, Ace. There it is. It's an honest gamble. They believe in the spirits. This is important. He's a Skellige, Viking, Celtic, whatever you want to call him. He's a Skellige. They believe in things like the love surprise and omens and myths. And that's why, even though Geralt claims not to believe in any of that mumbo-jumbo like Han Solo, he creates the prophecy in about 90 seconds by accident. Um, and that's why, but also because Assyria is, you know, part Skelliga in a number of different ways. The Skelligans are very, um, or the Skelligas, I should say, are very defensive and love Siri, defensive of and love Siri. And so, of course, Geralt and Yennefer have to support them. And what I was going to say was Mausak, for whatever reason, really hates Yennefer. Um, by the time we get to them in the game, and he only trusts them because of Geralt, their, their crazy plan, um, because of Geralt and his reputation and their friendship over the years, but also, again, they love and believe in Siri. Look at Calanthe. They're just, they keep shooting up on Calanthe during these scenes when the quote-unquote younger and more beautiful characters 
are, are talking, but Jody Bay is just in force of nature with so little that she's done. Okay, 75. So she's 30, 40. Yeah, 45. Amazing. Stunning. Stunning. Oh, man. She went to Oxford University. Masters in English. Okay, so this woman's a genius. And then just a woman in the 70s getting a Masters of English at Oxford doesn't happen much. You witcher. Right, so here comes a philosophical argument, which happens throughout in the book, but they wisely save for, for actually after the fact when they're trying to decide who dies, who lives, and what happens. People do die in the book, uh, you know. Sobkowski does sort of offhandedly mention stuff. So, oh, I kept wondering. I'm like, how are we at the end of that episode already? I was like, nope. Calanthe's pretending for peace, but this is going to lead to her turning on everyone again. Calanthe being kind of crazy. Not so. She looks like she's going to turn. The poetry coming out of the, the witcher's mouth. He does look like Orlando Bloom. Look at her, breathing hard. God, Jody May is Calanthe. Totally the MVP, especially because it's Siri's grandma. We don't get Pavetta much. Like in the books, it's all about Calanthe and Siri to get the... I will marry him. Here we go. It's, it's, it's like with the Beast. This is exactly Beauty and the Beast, right? It, that she, look at... They're shooting up again on Calanthe. You got the porcupine and the stunning Pavetta. Like, nope. A little mouse sack, a little iced... A little girl. Oh, man. The, the fisheye wide lens. Right on Calanthe. Look at her. Sorry. I just can't say enough about how... This actress sells the show for me. Their relationship, the whole... The fact that they make the whole Siri family relationship work by revisiting it numerous times, different times and places, she gives the sword up to her man. You can already see that they're going to be together. Oh, that's so sweet. But they have him, you know, sitting with the regular people during the party to accentuate that it hasn't happened yet. He's not at the royal table. Is Pavetta now going to go against the music? Is this? What does she say? Here's your destiny. She's going to betray. Did she stab him? Yeah. No. Okay. I I don't think this is what makes Pavetta scream in the book. Oh. (laughs) And you even get the Matrix kind of X-Men music. There's Dandelion holding some random woman. There go the windows. Here comes the Witcher music. Oh, look how beautiful this is. This is the thing. Is They talk about this imagery in the book, but to see it manifested, this is why you make the TV series, guys. This is it right here. If you are not in right now in Season 1, Episode 4, Banquets, Bastard, and Burials, with, with, with the love scene and the music, but the violence and the magic as it spins the camera on Geralt's watch, and she's speaking the Elder Tongue and everything slow motion for them, they're coming off the floor, so now there's Wonder Woman stuff. Uh, Oh my god. I don't know what to say. Oh, here we go. Okay, so in the book, you have time and space for a little bit more direct communication between Mausak and Geralt, but it's communicated plenty well. They're going to work together to, to stop this from going out of control. And that's why the peaceful lovey-dovey-ness inside their bubble 
has to be so sort of elfish, tender in the way that, you know, only elfish stuff can be, to contrast with the world ending outside. Yeah, in the book, in the book, it's just kill him, the guards rush, and then Pavetta's thing. So here we get the kill him, the battle with Dooney, and then Geralt jumping out to kill them, that battle, and then we get Pavetta trying to kill him directly herself, but it's within the spirit, and we get more action, we get more magic. This was so smart in this episode to, to have Yennefer have a very cool side story that needed almost no exposition so they could focus on this. This is what I hope they'd done with the Dandelion story, but this is more important. Here we go! Oh, here comes the Druid! Yes! <coughs> oh, Malsack is so fucking cool. Oh, look at them spinning! The full-on Witcher music! This is so epic! I'm watching my little MacBook Pro and it's epic. Geralt and, and, of course, the magic users are little able to, if not resist, then at least hold their ground. And Malsack and Geralt. Do they make Malsack do all the stuff? No, they don't, they don't actually communicate. They work like teammates in the, in the book. They actually look at each other and say, now, do this, now, do this. There goes the yard sign. Boom. Right. So they com- so he I think <laughs> if we want to go if we want to science the magic, essentially what happens is uh, without looking at each other but knowing their powers, I think Malsak knows that Geralt's going to throw an ard and so he's already creating like a sort of debuff bubble for the madness so that the ard gets through or enhances the ard or it they work in conjunction by accident here. In the book they work together. Who cares? That was amazing. This guy's spectacular. He doesn't look like Zach Galifianakis, but why not? He's fucking <laughs> Mousak. He's quite celebrated in the book, too. Everyone loves Mousak. Do you believe in destiny now? Right. So they give some of the stuff to Ice that maybe Mousak or Geralt have in the book, but in their attempt to do what Henry Cavill suggested early on, which was to always err on the side of fewer lines for Geralt as opposed to more, because he can be quite pedantic. This, that Things being pedantic in The Witcher occasionally is something I want to talk about, because it's, I think it's a strength of the series that's been used as both a critique um, and a praise. Um, a thing that is praiseworthy is the pedanticness occasionally when it comes to morals and so forth. I would argue it's only pedantic compared to like Game of Thrones um, in works of pure nihilism. So here's Calanthe. She sees it. She knows it. This is the you know this is the thing. I'm not a mutant, but I know you are, and I worry for our, my grandchildren and their children and their children and so forth. Geralt's taking it all in. Malsack. Malsack's like, I like this guy. I like this man. And it's only because of Malsack knowing how volatile both Geralt and Calanthe are that he's able to maneuver Siri surviving and getting away. I, I wish they hadn't killed them to have the double in the woods because that doesn't happen in the book and it was, it's not my favorite type of mustache twirling action. But here it is. Right. After t- multiple attempts to try and murder the guy... She saw the display of power and the love, and, and she can't resist because she loves her daughters and her granddaughter. I mean, loves her daughter and granddaughter. We only see her with Pavetta for a short amount of time, but this is what's so great, is you think it's going to be a happy ending. And then they say, and then in the book, she, Cal, the Linus, yes. Right, and this is the, the promise of support from Skellige. Queen Calanthe is agreed to my proposal of marriage. Oh, they do get to it. Yes. 
Two marriages. Happy ending, happy music. This is so Witcher. Because there are happy ending stories, but there's always a catch. And and Calanthe thinks against all odds with this porcupine. And it's important that they embrace him as the porcupine. And then he's going to turn into the, you know, fairly good-looking chap, I suppose. Who's a real chap. Up. Redness with Siri. So you think that part of the story is almost wrapped up other than how are we going to deal with a porcupine for a son-in-law <laughs> and the father of our grandchildren. Uh, but th- then they learn he's already fathered the grandchild, Siri, here. And then Geralt almost says a joke, says, oh, well, I'll do the love surprise too and take your child. Ha, ha, ha. Now in the books, he's... Bes- oh, man, cutting off ears. This is the, this is the anti-elf stuff. She's having a vision of all the. That's why a lot of the dryads are you know are elves and and, and and related creatures. This is what they're doing. So so people complain about the Nilfgaard armor. I, we haven't seen enough of them for me really to care or, or notice one way or, not care but notice one way or the other. Um. So again, I'm saving the dryads. So much to talk about with the wedding. So in the book, at, in the scene that's coming up, there's two offers of gifts. First, Calanthe says, "I'm I'm most I'm in charge. What do you want?" And he says, uh, "No payments needed, other than your friendship." Which of course she takes away from him numerous times in the, after that. But whatever, um, your friendship and. Green sash, remind me of your beautiful green eyes. When the green eyes, um, e- e- even more than the blonde hair, the green eyes would identify this fe- the female line of uh, of Sintra. And she says, no, take my beautiful emerald necklace instead. Now I'm a queen. I can afford more than the sash. Take the necklace. And Geralt's like, thank you very much. Uh, but then Dooney, who had already tried and interrupted the queen, and at this point seems like a great guy, which is why I need to reveal that he's a mirror, because we, we, there's no real... There's nothing inside the main lore that, uh, that explains how he survives and or survives the... The, the accident at sea with Pavetta, which kills Pavetta, fools people into thinking he's dead. So was it an accident and then he decided to, quote-unquote, stay dead? Or was it planned all along? Is he a bad guy even up here when we see him? And so anyway, so after the necklace is given, Dooney, who's already uh, interrupted the queen numerous times, which you're not supposed to do. Oh, here's Yennefer and the dead baby. She didn't kill the baby. Sorry, Yennefer. My bad. She she couldn't do it just for the, the opti- optics of it. So what does she think she's she's gonna die too? Uh, uh, is she even taking it on herself that the baby's dead? Yeah, I'm sorry, you have a life. I think I was just so convinced that Yennefer at this point would be so super evil openly that she would do something like kill a baby. I was more focused on the wedding stuff, but this is important that she did lead to that poor woman dying and maybe to this baby dying actually i mean she is responsible i guess ultimately for killing the baby just not as directly as i thought i need to look her looks completely different depending on how you shoot her the light the angle she just has that chameleon face which is great i mean from here to the dark gothic thing we got earlier with the sort of horror imagery but then she looks so young when you see her just smiling and dressed up she is only 23 in real life but they're, they're making her you know they're projecting her as someone who would look in their late 20s even though she's much older but anyways so in the book in the books Dooney offers Geralt 
anything. And Geralt says love surprise. In the book, it's a little bit less played for laughs. It's it's nervous laughter here. I love how they play it here, where Geralt says it offhandedly about the love surprise. But Calanthe, um, in the book, they they don't have to show the throwing up. Here they show the throwing up to show she's already pregnant, and it happens the second Geralt says love surprise. Again, I, I, I would say... A-plus decision, 10 out of 10 decision for television. But just so you guys know, in the book, while Calanthe... The chapter ends with Calanthe being horrified because she is smart, as crazy as she is. Calanthe's super smart. She knows what it means that he's taking the baby. Now, in the book, he specifically asked for a baby, assuming it's going to be a boy. And if it's a boy, he's going to come back and bring it and make it a witcher, uh, which is partially a death sentence because there's a less than 50% chance of living. Um, but, you know, but but... Geralt has a vision. Here, it's more accidental. Like the, the the spirits are speaking. Right. This is the. This is when I wasn't. Yeah. This is so my second watching. I was doing stuff and I was had the subtitles on and I was watching the imagery and I'm going, oh my god, she's burying this baby alive. I'm so sorry, Yennefer Vengerberg. I should have never doubted you that you're not this evil. Or I should never. Yeah. Um. And so, anyways, the end result of Pavetta being horrified, and the one who realizes with that bloodline that he's taking that child, here it is, he still hasn't turned back to his form, to his human form. So, what happens in the, um, in the book is, so he's not a hedgehog between midnight and, and sunrise, or something like that. And, and so, at this point, he's already turned into a human, and then it, dawn happens, and then and then is when they realize, not all at the same time, that he hasn't turned back into the hedgehog, thus the spell's been broken. And Calanthe is credited, at least by the Witcher, for being the one to um, uh, to break the spell by, by allowing this to happen. Are they really going to kiss? Oh my god, it's so gross. This show is totally bonkers. You know, people, but it, it, the logic, especially when you read the books, the logic is, uh, right. So here they're going for more of the straight beauty and the beast, immediate transformation upon kissing thing. And in the book, it has more to do with Calanthe accepting their union as opposed to any, up oh, there he is. Okay. So they're definitely already making him look enough guardian with the hair and the darker clothing and complexion. Cause they're from the South, you know, they're like Southern Europeans. They're, they are a little bit darker. And this Calanthe can't believe it. All of a sudden he, she's got this great looking nephew. <laughs> and guess who was right the whole time, but the witcher. Oh, I didn't give you a Siri this time. I'm Siri. I'm Siri. And I love Geralt because he's the best and he always takes care of me. I can't even channel Siri. I'm too busy watching Pavetta. I'm Pavetta. I'm the delicate but powerful mother of Siri. (laughs) My greatest villain yet. Right. I was trying to explain the next book, book starts with him giving away all their secrets. Here's right. Here's the present. They didn't need to do. They didn't have time to negotiate over what piece of clothing or jewelry Calanthe was going to give her. I want nothing. They insist. In the book, Geralt says you you must insist. You know, it's like asking for forgiveness three times in Judaism. You have to insist. 
Right. So at this point, is Nuni, aka Amir of Nilfgaard, is this all part of the plan? I, I, I've researched this in the past. I don't know if I've gotten definite answer. Up, uh, Calanthe knows immediately. No, look, she's the one. She knows immediately. This is bad. No, no, no. Right. What have you done, Witcher? In the book, she says, "What have you done, P- or, or what will you do, Pavetta, or what have you done, Pavetta?" And it ends by saying, "Whoop! There's Pavetta throwing up. She's already pregnant." And everyone all of a sudden's like, "Whoa! Oh, that's the kid!" Even Geralt all of a sudden, I think, they look at Geralt. Uh oh, uh, <laughs> Geralt, <laughs> fuck! <laughs> he just leaves. God damn it. And now they can't take it back because fucking the Skellige... <laughs> there's his sword. Uh, this is important, this exchange. Right, no idea how to control the power. I'm gonna stay. So in the book, uh, he's asked to stay by Pavetta. But him being already an advisor to Ice, who's now the new you know king regent or whatever. It would make sense. Enough partying for me. This is the first speech he gets. Bound to this now, Carol. With the, the wry smile, Adam Levy plays this so well as Malsack. Like, sorry, buddy. You said law of surprise. It's on you now. You cannot rest in destiny. Right, but it's not just that he says, you know, you have to read between the lines of this, even if you've read the book a little bit, which is, even though he asked for law of surprise, not realizing or thinking through how important that could be, Malsek is so smart and in touch with the spirits and the living force, which I'm going to get back to, the fact that they call it the force in the book. He knows Geralt is the type of person they really can use helping either Pavetta or the child of Pavetta. I think part of the thing with Pavetta is, yes, she dies at sea, and so Ciri becomes the one, but there must be signs early on in Ciri's life that it's gotten even crazier because... We just saw the ultimate Pavetta display, and it was great. And it blew out, as they say in the book, you know, it's going to take two months to rebuild the throne room. I think Calanthe says in the book, but we'll, we'll have a proper wedding at that point. Um, watch for daggers in your back. More likely poison. You know, giving him advice for a court that's not Skellige. He loves them. Like, he loves the dwarves, and he, he's, he's cool with the, the normal elves. He really relates to the Skelligas, especially the nature people like the Druids, and it's important for them to have a moment here. And the implication that they had bonded, maybe in the past, maybe not, is so great. They shouldn't have killed Mausak. They could have easily worked him back in into the series saga, but that's okay. Oh, is this just the is this just the Nilfgaard? Oh shit! This is a burning of Sintra. Are we going back to this again? Interesting. Oh, this is this is Kahir. 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 No, it's not Kahir. Oh, no, is this the Witcher? Uh, this is the Witcher finding Kalanthe. Right, so this doesn't happen. He meets Siri in the woods, and then he gets nowhere near Sintra. He hears about Sintra burning. Oh, no. Oh, this is the Four Marks thing. I have no idea the significance of this. So there's Finchilla. So this is Nilfgaard stuff. So he's tasting it. Some weird wizard for the elder blood stuff. This is so weird. 
I wouldn't have done this. I, I don't know what this is referring to. Then Franchilla murders him. They're just trying to build up Franchilla's evilness. His guts come out. And then... What? Is it working? They're trying to pull the spirit out of her. So she reads the guts of the guy who ate the skin of Calanthe and she knows broke Lawn Forest. Yeah, this is by far the weakest subplot. It's because the Nilfgaardians aren't that important, you know... Until the very end of Sword of Destiny when, oh, by the way, these guys called the Nilfgaardians are... Oh, here he is, Malsak. Oh, he sees her. She's dead. And this when they kill Malsak. I, 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 yeah. This was a series of, you know... I'm not going to say ill-timed, ill-fated, ill-conceived decisions, but... It, I am fine with Geralt not being able to see her, and I'm even okay with how they portray the Dryads. Um... Somewhat softer. Let's we'll just say that and in the books. Uh, but Franchilla and that weird scene, and then the double of Malsack. Maybe there is a double of Malsack in the book. Um, Kyir is definitely sort of mentioned not by name early on, and then becomes a huge part later because even though he's an agent that gets two chances, which nobody does, but he's so good at what he does, and he knows who Siri is, and so. Uh, Emperor Amir, series dead after punishing the guy for two years, says, you got one more chance to find my daughter. This happens at the beginning of um, either Blood of Elms or Time of Contempt, which, so that's coming pretty soon. Here, right, here's the, the forest juice that she drinks, which I don't know if this pays off in anything, but it doesn't really matter because we saw, m- most of the episode, we saw what we should have been seeing, which is Calanthe and Geralt and the Hedgehog, Dooney, and Pavetta, and so forth. Oh, is this Siri in the desert? I was just talking about this Siri in the desert shot. I'm an idiot. Clearly, I've not watched these episodes closely enough. Sorry, guys. I, I, part of the reason I watch the, the things I love five, six, seven times is it takes me that long to pick up on certain things. There's so much insanity going on in this show. This is a beautiful image. It cannot be a coincidence that Yennefer was just in the desert, and now all of a sudden she's in a very similar-looking desert. Especially because, oh, there's the Black Panther tree. Um, yeah, they, they pull from Black Panther in this series, which is something that I would never have called or expected necessarily, but which makes total sense in terms of just this more bizarre vision of, uh, of nature. So the desert has to be connected with Yennefer, especially because they decided, you know, again, maybe not my first choice, but I'm fine with it. They decided to end the, the series with a much shorter reunion scene with Geralt, but more specifically, instead of them talking about how she's his destiny, she just says, who's Yennefer? Which is obviously to build a cliffhanger for the second season. To me, there's a bit of a forced cliffhanger, and it'll be interesting that for all my praise, A-plus-ness and 10 out of 10-ness of the show, which, which I'm still maintaining because of how much they had to accomplish, it's, it'll be interesting to see if by the very, very, very end, my complaint ends up being what it's been the first two times through, which is literally just the last minute. It's like it's like the atrification um, uh, at the end of the good guys at the end of Infinity War and the atrification to the bad guys at the very end of, of Endgame Avengers, you know? It's always the, the the very end. It's hard to stick that landing. But we, we, 
by bringing Geralt to, to Sintra and being part of that horrible scene of murder and, and, and massacre that we just saw uh, helps build that stakes freshly and new. And because her, him and Siri are both having visions of Yennefer at, at Sodden Hill, because they're sort of all geographically close and now their destinies are coming together is the point. The point is, they nailed it, but they also thought about what could go right and what could go wrong in this scenario and what could go right and what could go wrong in a more direct uh, interpretation. But this was as close to a, a, a feel of, like, this chapter is so bonkers. The fact that they were able to stick more loyally to the feel of this, more so than anything other than maybe The Last Wish, which is the next episode. So the two you know, most memorable ones with the crazy magic um, uh, that they stuck so loyally to the, to, the, to the written material is super impressive. So, okay, thanks for trading me. I was super hyped because episode three is not my favorite. I'm not much of a horror guy. And I just wanted to get to Yennefer being Yennefer and the wedding stuff with Dooney and the Hedgehog, which Pavetta, which is spectacular. So. Now we get Yennefer meeting Geralt. Uh-oh. What could possibly go wrong with Dandelion in the middle? The Last Wish, Episode 5. Thank you for joining me and for all the support um, this year and all the years. And uh, considering it's very early in the morning on December 30th, um, this might be my last podcast of the year. So Happy New Year to you all. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and for now, the Bizzlecast is out.